0: Welcome to the latest edition of Spotlight, a PEI media podcast where we delve into the very latest in private markets investing. And today, we are looking at fundraising, specifically Q1 2021 fundraising, and what a mixed picture it has been. Uh, With me here today to discuss all this are Chris Wachowski, editor of Buyouts, Carmela Mendoza, senior reporter at Private Equity International, and John Bakey, news editor at Private Debt Investor. Welcome, everyone. So let's start off, Carmela, turning to, to private equity, we've just had Q1 fundraising figures published on PEI, which listeners can find at privateequityinternational.com under the rankings and report section. Talk us through what happened in Q1.
1: Yeah, I mean, a brief overview of that latest uh, fundraising data shows some 277 funds gathered about uh, 180 billion between them. So that's the largest first quarter fundraising total since the global financial crisis. And comparing that to Q1 of last year, that's a 10% increase in capital raised. In terms of overall fundraising volume, you'll also see an increase across most strategies and buyouts and growth focusing on these two, they they gathered uh, about 70%. Of capital raised for the quarter, so buyouts 50%. And then growth about eighteen percent by geography. Nothing uh, strange there, I guess. It's uh, North America funds continued to dominate uh, fundraising, accounting for about forty percent of capital raise for the quarter. And then, but what's interesting is that Europe and Asia saw significant increases in terms of capital raise. So Europe raised twenty one point three billion compared to five point five billion last year. So that's an almost like fourfold increase. And then Asia is, uh, well, Asia saw a 67% increase in fundraising. So that's boosted, of course, by one massive Asian fund, which I guess we'll talk about later. So certainly, it seems like fundraising uh, shows that LP appetite has not diminished, even with um, the turbulence of, of last year.
0: Yeah, it's pretty surprising, isn't it, that when we were looking at the numbers, the the highest first quarter since the global financial crisis, you know, despite everyone kind of working from home and and fundraising having to be done virtuals, quite a surprise there, I guess, looking at these figures. What what were some of the, the big standout funds to close in Q1?
1: certainly KKR Asian Fund 4 is the largest at 15 billion and it's interesting because that's the largest fund raised for the region their largest ever fund across geographies and strategies and also the largest fund for the quarter right so that's that's quite interesting there uh, the next fund in the list is Apex Partners for their 10th vehicle which raised 11 billion so comparing KKR and Apex there's like an almost 40% difference there in the capital raised. Interestingly, also, you see two growth funds and two secondaries funds that made it to the largest capital raisers list. Blackstone Growth uh, Fund, uh, their debut growth fund, close in $4.5 And you also have Collar Capital, which close in over $9 billion for its latest secondaries fund, their eighth one, which includes co-investment capital, of course.
0: Wow. Okay. So Asian funds, growth funds, secondaries funds. You mentioned KKR's Asia fund is largest ever. So I take it this this Asian fund is larger than than their North America global strategy.
1: Certainly. Yeah. You're seeing an expansion of you know funds in the largest funds list. It's not just buyouts anymore.
0: Mm, interesting. Okay. And then lastly on on growth. I mean, it looks like growth was was a big story in Q1 with Blackstone raising their debut growth fund, which they say is the, the biggest debut growth fund ever raised. Any sense of kind of what's driving uh, more interest in, in growth strategies?
1: I mean, that's that's interesting. We spoke to a fund of funds manager a few weeks ago talking about growth funds. And he said the interest there is is because it's uh, the growth funds clean the cap table. So it's too late for a VC firm. And when private equity firms Come in and, and set up growth funds, you'll definitely see a more efficient list of, of the shareholding structure there because investors from different rounds are able to exit. So that's the attraction. And of course, the companies that they back are fast growing, they're mostly in healthcare and tech. So that's definitely pandemic resilient.
0: Mm. So growth, uh, the growth of growth, some other growth managers, I think Tomo Bravo was also in market with a debut growth fund, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, maybe more to delve into that strategy in the in the coming weeks and months.
1: I mean, look, if you listen to also um, the, the large cap players in the recent earnings, they've also been talking about growth a lot. So Carlisle recently, they, they said they would have a fundraising campaign of 130 billion for the next four years. And growth funds are an important part of that strategy. Yesterday, EQT said that they are looking to raise 2 billion euros for their first growth fund, which is mainly focused in Europe. So you're definitely seeing that also, where large cap players are racing their own dedicated growth vehicles.
0: Mm. Chris, I wonder if that's something that you're hearing about from sources as well. And you know, also, I, I know that you're, you know, your team on buyouts has been covering some of the recent successful first-time managers. Tell us about what's going on there.
2: I agree that growth is a huge story. Part of that has to do with, as Carmela said, it involves specific sectors. And what, what we're seeing, you know, whether it's sort of the large managers or the first-time managers that we've covered, and, and we'll get into that a bit, is this idea of sector specialization. Um, that has become so important. It's That's been something of a focus over the past few years, but it's accelerated in the market lockdown during the health crisis. And, and what happened was that LPs saw managers that were able to navigate their companies through this downturn, sort of understand the intricate details of their companies, understand the markets that they were in, understand how they were impacted by the pandemic and help their companies get through this crisis. That just helped to sort of spur interest in this idea of sector specialization. So that idea has become so much more important now to limited partners and and GPs are recognizing that. And of course, GPs have recognized that. So, a lot of the emerging managers, a lot of the first time funds that we've seen come out and that have had success at raising have been sector specialists. And so, that usually involves healthcare, usually is focused on healthcare or technology. We've seen some industrial focus as well. And so, uh, you know, a couple of the examples that we've seen lately include this firm called. Patient Square Capital, which was formed by an ex KKR guy, Jim Montezik. He used to uh, head healthcare investments at KKR for many years. And he launched this firm. And they are, my understanding is, talking to sources, is, it, is that they're well on their way to $3 billion, which if they hit that would make it the largest ever first time fund. Another first timer that we saw have success in the fundraising market is called Crosspoint Capital. And Crosspoint was formed by, interestingly enough, sort of a group of operators in the kind of cybersecurity space and data infrastructure space, along with uh, a, a guy, Ian Loring from Bain Capital, who is, who's on the investment side. These people all came together to form this firm, Crosspoint. And really they have this niche specialization right there within security and data infrastructure that they were able to really sell to LPs and raise $1.3 billion for their first fund, which, which I mean, for a first time fund, that's a huge fund. And they, they were able to sell that story and as well they were able to sort of prove out their strategy in their first investment which was this investment they did alongside Advent in a company called Force Scout International. Uh, they were able to apply uh, their strategy their sort of operational chops to this investment. The founder of Crosspoint actually became the interim CEO of Force Scout for a few months sort of there right in the mix, helping to implement this plan, this operational plan. And this year, ForeScout just appointed a new CEO. So now the plan's off to running. They have a new uh, leader at the company and that investment is moving forward for them. So that was mm. a good way for them to sort of prove out their strategy to LPs as they were raising their fund. That's just another uh, example of, of success. Those I would say are exceptions. I mean, those are the success stories, but it has definitely become harder for emerging managers and especially for first-timers, to raise money in this market. Starting last year, and, and you could even say maybe before COVID, LPs have been really sticking with their most trusted relationships, sticking with those managers who have a track record of success and who are fairly easy bets. And that's because the market has been so expensive. You know, Some people will say it's sort of overvalued. And LPs want to turn to those managers who have had success in that kind of market. And then last year, of course, it it makes sense that LPs would be sort of turning to those managers who have been through cycles before to say, okay, you know, we want exposure to private equity, but we want it with an experienced manager that knows how to deal with this. And so that money for emerging managers and for first timers has been drying up. And so it's so important to sort of have some kind of angle when you're going out there to raise your first time fund to, to start a firm to have some kind of edge. And, you know, sector specialization is one way to do that. So we're seeing mm. that's that's what we're seeing out there.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, and these are firms that are presumably spinning out or launching, you know, sort of post March last year. So during a pandemic, they can't travel, they can't go out and hit the hit the road and kind of, you know, shake hands with prospective LPs. They're having to do this all virtually over Zoom and okay. kind of convince LPs to to back them. And some of them are are doing this really successfully.
2: Yeah, that's right. And they're, they're getting help, you know, like they'll use placement agents, they'll form relationships with consultants and things like that. Some of them did travel, you know, they'll, they'll talk about it quietly. (laughs) There was some traveling going on last year. Yeah. A little bit, a little Ah, bit, domestic uh, travel, I guess. Yes, of course. And, and and now this year that's op- that's opening back up. but but you're right. I mean, they you know these, and and again, that just made it even harder. You think about forming any sort of new relationship, even when you're able to meet face to face. that's that's a tough bet to make. And then when you can't meet face- to face, you know LP's just sort of backed away from it for a while. Now, they'll say that they are interested in forming new relationships. You know, they'll tell you that in interviews, you'll see that in surveys but it's still quite a challenge, especially if you're a new firm. And I'll tell you what, we, we have not seen new firm formation slow down at all. Despite the challenges, new firms are forming all the time. Well-known executives are, are choosing to spin out from bigger shops. Some of them are testing the fundraising market. Some of them are deciding just go deal by deal for a few years. Uh, don't have a fund. you know, Just have a little circle of investors who will fund your deals and build a track record that way that we, we've seen a few firms out there have success doing that. You know, the activity
0: continues. It's just a lot more challenging on that side of the market. So, so much going on, which means so much for us to write about, which is great. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. John, on I mean, so much going on in the private equity space. Private debt seems to be a slightly different story. Um, tell us what happened in, in Q1.
3: Yeah. So I suppose in some ways, it's rather unexciting compared to private equity space in that the amount of money raised in the first quarter of this year was was really, really similar to last year. There was $39.2 billion raised in the first quarter of 2021 compared to $40.6 billion in the same period uh, last year. And so it doesn't sound that interesting. And private debt in general has been rather flat since uh, a rather unusual glut of fundraising that we saw in 2017. I think what is really interesting first quarter of this year, Year is the number of funds raised, which has absolutely plummeted to just 34. And for the first time ever in private debt, we're seeing average fund size of above a billion dollars. You know, I think that's really just showing. The very aggressive consolidation that's going on in the sector. I don't mean in terms of fund managers acquiring each other, but actually LPs are wanting to concentrate more and more of their funds in a a rather small selection of larger managers. And I guess part of that is because private debt really can benefit quite heavily from scale. It can be quite uh, intensive in terms of the resources needed to manage the loans on a day-to-day basis. That is probably driving part of that. And I think Another factor that that we should consider in private debt is that there is a growing, a very large and growing segment of the market that actually wants separately managed accounts, which won't appear in traditional fundraising figures. And and again, this is because uh, a lot of investors are uh, very large investors, big insurance companies, very big pension funds uh, that need to get some yield on their fixed income, and they're often moving extremely large allocations from traditional public market fixed income into private debt now, and often they will do that by a separately managed account.
0: And, and a quick um, follow-up question, John. I mean, average fund size is moving past a billion dollars in the first quarter. Is that the first time that that's happened? And, and what does that kind of mean? Is, is that a, a momentous shift In the private
3: debt market? Yeah, I mean, it's actually a really rapid change. If I look back at at some previous years, just as close as 2016, it was only $479 million. Even in 2020, which was the previous highest, it was only $718 million. And now it's jumped to $1.15 billion. So it's, it's a huge leap. Very few funds were raised this quarter. We'll see how it pans out over the rest of the year, but it may just be a bit of an acceleration in a trend that we were already seeing where a smaller selection of managers getting the lion's share of the funding.
2: I don't know if there's much to say about this. Carmela, you you may have some thoughts, but I wonder if with this fundraising is there a sense of like terms and conditions whether lps are seeing what they might consider egregious terms or anything like that i haven't i haven't picked up anything so i don't know if that's really something to talk about right now but carmela maybe you have
1: well it's interesting when i spoke to a public pension just now, um, she said that compared to last year where she saw uh, GPs asking for fundraising extensions and requests as well in terms of uh, what they can invest in, that has really changed. Like just in terms of the first quarter, it seems like it's speeding up and it feels like it's back to normal is what she said. So none of those requests from last year from GPs.
2: Yeah, the, the one thing I'd say that we are waiting to see is if speaking of requests, if we'll start to see GPs asking for extensions of like investment periods, or again, even like fun lives, investment periods, mostly because there was such a pause in M&A activity last year, that the question is, are GPs going to have to come back to the LPs and say, look, we, we need another year to be able to deploy this capital. Usually investment periods are five years on general uh, buyout funds. And so if you lose a year or you lose six months of the ability to deploy that capital, you may need more time. Now, I think the thought is that there was so much pent up demand from last year that MA is just going to go off the rails this year, and it's going to be extraordinarily busy. So I guess we'll see later in the year um, how much capital is actually deployed by sponsors into the market. But um, I, I do think that's one thing that we'll be keeping our eye on is if we start to see these amendment requests come in, for investment period extensions. And then if that does happen, you know, what that looks like. You know, are LPs gonna be demanding concessions in order to, to give them another year to deploy? Will they want fee breaks, et cetera, things like that. So that, that could be an interesting thing to watch for later in the year.
0: Well, it sounds like we've got all got plenty to keep our eyes on and to keep us busy. So as always, stay tuned on privateequityinternational.com, buyoutsinsider.com and Private Debt Investor for all the latest in your private markets uh, news. Uh, That's it for today. As always, you can find the PI Spotlight podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, Listen Notes, Google Podcasts, and Pandora. I'm Adam Lay. Thank you for listening.